Hey everybody, welcome to another episode of the Pioneer Podcast. I'm Tanning Grayson, as always, enjoy Ross Merriam. Ross, how you doing today? I am tired. <laughs> I don't know why I expect anything different, but it's the same old thing. Uh, a little bit of the uh, PC weekend slowing you down, or? Uh, yeah, I didn't sleep s- super well last night, and we're recording this after Versus, and, you know, even though Versus is only three hours, it's kind of tiring, because you're just constantly on, uh, you know, doing a lot of talking, but I'll be good. Oh, a nice relaxing evening. The Jazz have been off for a couple days. They play again tonight. Yeah, we're going to be able to get done with the show in time for you to enjoy the Jazz game. Oh, yeah. Yeah? We've got a solid two hours before the game starts. I was going to say, it's like 5.45 my time when we're getting started. So, yeah, as I was going to say, you should be good with them out of Utah or whatever. But uh, So, how was how was your weekend overall? I know you were you know you live in Roanoke, so you were there while the PC, uh, the Players' Championship was going on. Um I know you were like pretty disappointed being the first man out, but it didn't seem to show in the photos and like the enthusiasm I saw from you. Oh no, weekend was great. Uh, you know, everybody came in. Um, I kept trying to uh, get them to behave irresponsibly, and uh, <laughs> m- much to the credit of the the field this year, they did not. Yeah, you were rebutted qu- quite well. Yes, I I feel like they uh, they lost out on some karma points. Uh, so maybe some people should have behaved a little bit more irresponsibly, but no, they were, they were all good boys, uh, all weekend, uh, trying hard, doing well. So I, I stayed in a lot, watched a lot of the coverage, um, actually went out and saw one of my favorite local artists on Saturday night, uh, Morgan Wade. She's been off in Nashville working on an album, so hasn't been around this area a lot. Uh, came back and did a show at a small venue here, um, in that's in an old church building. So it's a cool little venue. Uh, so that was fun Saturday, Sunday night. We all hung out in the lobby of the hotel where the, the competitors were staying. Had a good time. There was a Cuban going on. I played a lot of cribbage. We, we ended up at the Waffle House at like 2 in the morning. Standard. You know, you know it's a good night when you're at the Waffle House at 2 in the morning. See, to me, I know it's going to be a painful night, and then I'm going to regret it the, the next day. <laughs> but, but sure. So I have this theory about Waffle House. Have I ever told you my theory about Waffle House? What is it? So you know how everybody's like, oh, Waffle House is great. The food's amazing or whatever. Very few people say that. Okay, well, I, I hear it. The people who say it are very loud. You know, I think of, like, okay. Todd Anderson and people that are like, you know, oh, this food is great, you know, or whatever, blah, blah, I have this theory. The reason people think that Waffle House, like, the food is great is because they're not sober anytime they ever go. I have had sober Waffle House quite a bit. Todd and I would go before Versus almost every time, and Corey and I go maybe a third of the time. That explains a lot, by the way. That just explains a lot. You're usually like kind of gassy on the show sometimes. <laughs> that that explains some of it to me from from the Waffle House thing. But the Waffle House is just solid. Yeah. Okay. It's it's solid. It's not good. It's not great. It's fine. Right. Yeah. And like I'm sure I'm gonna get hammered on Twitter or whatever for this. Someone's gonna be like, Tana Grace hates Waffle House or whatever. But like, but here's the thing. So it's like it's like a theory that I have. Like, have you ever been? You know, you come home late at night. You know, you've been like out drinking at the bar, or like you've been drinking at your place, and you get the munchies or whatever, and you're just like. Yo, I'm going to make this frozen pizza or whatever. And, like, you know, you put this pizza in, you know, because you grab whatever's on hand, you know, and and you eat it and you're like, this is the best pizza I've ever had. You know, it's, it's always way – it like, if it was on a 1 to 10 scale, it gets, like, two extra points. You know what I mean? Oh, 100%. That's a, a – a oh, I can't remember – I don't know what word I'm trying to think of. But as a, a frequent haver of the drunk munchies – um. As a, a, a connoisseur, I'll say a connoisseur of inebriated cuisine. I, I like that better. Inebriated cuisine. That's that's a yes. Good one. It makes it it makes our it makes our debauchery sound more fancy. Exactly. I, I am I am wholeheartedly in support of this theory. Yes, the quality of the food it does uh, increase 
it's like it's like drunk goggles but for food yeah so do you have anything that you like particularly like to eat when you're drinking like i'm a, I'm a big finger foods kind of guy like you know like i like uh, any kind of like, you know, French fry with something added to it or like nachos or, you know what I mean? Like I'll even do some wings or something like that. You get what I'm saying? Something along those lines, like bar yeah. food. Um, I don't know if there's anything I particularly crave or seek out. Uh, I, I agree with you. Like any, anything sort of greasy is usually good. Yeah. Um, <laughs> it's also really good for a hangover too, by the way. So if you can bring hopes of leftovers. <laughs> my, my hangover go-tos in Roanoke are actually Indian buffet. Oh, that's a good one. And uh, so the a specific item at Tacos Rojas, which is the best tacos in town, but they have a, a breakfast burrito that's eggs, potatoes, and refried beans, and they smother the burrito in green chili sauce. I was going to say, if your burrito, if your hangover burrito doesn't have potatoes in it, you're doing it wrong. Yes. Like, you're, you're actually just doing it wrong. Yeah, but the, the green chili sauce is, uh, is killer. So, uh, yeah, I, I, don't, I don't think my tastes, like, significantly change. The, one of the things I don't like about Roanoke is we don't really have great late night food options. Like they're not, there's not many of them. Like is in like they're not open very late, or they just aren't great. Um, honestly, both. So yes, <laughs> there's one. There's one issue in that the there's a couple places that are open late, but only on Friday and Saturday, because that's when you know most people are out. Right. But I'm traveling on the weekends. When I'm out in Roanoke, it's like a Tuesday. Or a Wednesday. Because that's, that's like your weekend. Like Wednesday yeah. is like a weekend for you, right? You know, exactly. between shows and stuff. And Monday and Fridays are traveling. So I think of Wednesday as like your like your spa day. You know, you're like, I'm going to go yeah. relax, maybe go out. Like, I, It's sort of Tuesday, Thursday, actually. Because like Wednesday, I, I'm, I have to do verses the next day. So I don't like to be out late on Wednesday. But Tuesday, I don't have anything to do like uh, early on Wednesday. And then Thursday, usually the next day is traveling. And like traveling, if you're hungover, is perfectly fine. So Tuesday, Thursday are the nights I'm out quite a bit, which coincidentally are the karaoke nights during the week. It just happens so, to work out. Sure. Funny, funny how that worked out. But um, you had nothing to do with that whatsoever. So uh, Tuesday and Thursday um, are the nights I'm often out. So those places aren't uh, aren't open. That's uh, actually the the noodle place that just opened, and then Benny's Pizza, uh, and then. Uh, what's it's uh, Jack Brown's a place I sent a lot of people to over invitational weekend the burger place they're open late and their kitchen's open late so I try to hit them up uh, but they only have one non-vegetarian or one vegetarian thing on the menu um, which is just a, a grilled cheese uh, but theirs has barbecue potato chips and mac and cheese on it so it's really good that sounds really good when yeah. you said Benny's pizza I actually like looked back to see if my dog <laughs> perked up because I thought she could hear you for some reason I have headphones on obviously <laughs> while we're recording and she's just over here like munching away on her treat because uh because I'm the only one in the house right now and if I don't let her in the room while I do this she'll throw a fit or whatever she'll start barking at the door we don't we don't want that too much so hopefully she doesn't bark while we're recording not the end of the world if she does she's, whatever, yeah she's got her treat she'll be fine yeah, she's she's actually like you know most people when they hear about Pomeranians they're like oh aren't they yippy and I'm like my dog doesn't bark like at all she only does like you know if, if you like when you come visit right when you walk in the door my dog's gonna greet you very loudly and very enthusiastically about a minute or two after that and once you pet her she's silent you know what I mean she, and she'll bark like when she's supposed to you know like you know someone's at the door or something like that or like she's a you know protect the house kind of things you know anything a normal dog would do. But we got pretty lucky there. Uh, my uh, my parents' dog, Jellybean, they've had her for... Great name, by the way. Yeah. Is, is this an Archie's comic reference? <laughs> no. Okay, anyway, sorry. They've 
I can't remember exactly when they got her. It was, it was probably six years ago or so, uh, would be my guess. And in that time, and I lived with them for a couple, the first couple of years before I moved to Roanoke. So we lived in the same house. I saw her every day. I think in the time that they've gotten her, I, I've heard her bark once. Exactly once. And everybody, wow. it was the first, it's the only time I think any of us have heard it. And we all sort of looked at each other like, what just happened? Did that actually happen? You know, yeah. Is that a thing? What, what, what spurred the bark? I, I'm trying to remember and I really can't. How do you um, not remember this? It's the only time your dog's yeah, ever barked. It's, you would think this would be like a thing. Yeah, you'd think it would be seared into my memory, but I don't know. Uh, I get, uh, but it wasn't anything like super serious, so that that's must be why it's not super memorable. But she's a very like just. Um, it's not that she's really tame, but like when I walk through the door, she she'll tackle me. Uh, yeah, and, and if you get too close to her head, she will headbutt you. <laughs> you got You got to beware. <laughs> Like a yeah. good solid headbutt. Oh yeah, she's hard as a rock. Uh, I took I took a headbutt to the nose once, and like I it jarred I you. Start, yeah, I thought I was gonna start bleeding. Uh, no, she she uh, she's like a, a some sort of pit bull mix. Was it, how, much, how much does she weigh? Um, Ish. I would guess something like forty to sixty pounds. Because I, I know like the exact weight of my dog, but it's it's a lot easier. Yeah. She's small, but she, she's Jelly Bean's a medium sized dog, but she is mm-hmm. like all muscle and like. Mm-hmm. Um, oh yeah, those dogs are ripped. Like they're yeah, she's, they're she's a she's a dense dog. Very yeah. dense, very dense. Uh, but so. say my uh, my in laws. Uh, I'm sorry, my my brother and sister in law. They have a little French little French bulldog, a little French pity kind of thing, and uh, he's like a mix or something. But uh, he he's like that. He's just like. You, you know, you look at him. He looks like he's he looks like he's flexing. You know, like the the bow up look. He is just like, Bruh. he's just, and he is solid. He's only like twenty to thirty pounds, but you'd think he's more the way he just like barrels into you and like knocks you over or the way he plays or whatever. But um, as for my weekend, uh, it was a little different than normal. There were no actual football games on the weekend for my teams. But if you were a fan of LSU football, it was still a pretty good weekend, even though we didn't have a game. We uh. We won so, a lot of awards, but we won this one. I think people have heard of it. It's called the the Heisman Trophy. I, I I don't know if that's good or if that's something that you want, but it, it comes along with something called high score. Yeah, that thing. Ross is doing the Heisman right now at home. I wish we could get a picture of this. It It's not the best Heisman I've ever seen, but it's definitely better than some. Yeah, I am, I'm am i doing a seated Heisman. It's, it's difficult. Yeah, seated Heisman. Seated. There we go. But yeah, Joe Burrow won the Heisman. It was... It was um, I think it was one of the... I, I mean, I, I honestly... I don't super follow the Heisman super hard because, you know, I follow like LSU football. You know what I mean? Like I don't get deep into the numbers when it's a bunch of players from teams I don't get to watch. But uh, it did seem like this year that it was uh, they invited Joe Burrow to the Heisman and three other people to watch him receive the award because uh, it did not seem particularly close. So it was nice watching him get that. Um, our coach was there. His family was there. It was pretty cool to to watch the Heisman ceremony and have like a a vesting interest in it. You know what I mean? Cause that, that has not happened really in my lifetime. You know, this is our first Heisman trophy winner in like well over 50 years ever since Billy Cannon. So pretty cool to watch that. Uh, the saints played Monday night and, uh, I don't know if you saw what happened in that game, but, uh, it was a fun game to watch, but it was not, uh, what's the word I'm looking for here? Competitive. Uh, I don't remember the final score, but it was something like almost 40 to nothing. But, uh, Drew Brees bo- broke the all time record for, for touchdowns thrown. And then he also broke the completion record in a game. He went uh, 29 for 30 in the game. So he had one incompletion. And the one that he missed was like a little dinky screen pass that like 
they just got a mis- they had a miscommunication. You could tell like he led the guy and like the guy didn't run. You know what I mean? Like the guy just didn't run. So it could have been thirty for thirty, which no one's ever gotten like no one's ever done. Someone's come close. Like Philip Rivers came close, or whatever. But uh, pretty interesting to watch him break another ridiculous record the night that he breaks an all time record. And I don't know. Maybe we should get a couple more conversations on him being the goat. <laughs> you know, him possibly being the greatest. I mean, it's it's obvious that he's one of the best. But whatever. Um, so. You know, some stuff going on there. Had had the family over, hung out. Um, had this like impromptu dinner one of the nights where we uh, cooked up steaks, uh, cut them up, and then like made uh, made like tacos out of it. So you know we did like that, like red onion, cilantro, a bunch of other stuff, and then I made a quinoa salad along with it, and it was like actually just absurdly good. And I still have leftovers that I've been munching on for the last day or so. So I just love it when her parents come over and, and want to cook because. Her mom's one of those cooks that, uh, her being my wife, her mom's one of those cooks that she never measures anything, never reads a recipe or anything. It's like all up in her head and she just does it all by like sight. And it's always perfect. You know, those people, I'm one of the ones I have to measure literally everything, you know, I'm, I'm getting there. Uh, I'm measuring less and less. If it's certain things, if it's like oil your pan with like, you know, two tablespoons of whatever, I'm like, whatever. All right, here we go. (laughs) Like, you know, that's, that's easy. But when it's like actual ingredients for the food i don't want to like way over weight underdo something so like i'm i'm pretty stickler for it but that's probably just because like i'm relatively new to cooking so yeah same if i ever have to transfer something to like a baking dish then i'll i'll make sure to measure things at least relative because i don't want to end up with just like way not enough or way too much to fit in the dish uh, yeah, you know, the, that the, makes sense. The, yeah. You know, but if I end up making like a little more volume here, or a little less volume here, because I just didn't measure things according to whatever recipe, but it's all in one pot, then like who cares? Yeah, exactly, exactly. Do you want to talk about some magic, or do you want to keep talking about like food and football and stuff? Yeah, I can go either way. All right. Well, there were some bands this week again. Um, it's kind of it was kind of interesting, right? Like we had a normal band announcement on Monday, and. Then we found out that we were going to have a Pioneer band announcement later. Like, I thought they might combine the two, which, you know, there was some uncertainty there. But it seems like the results of the two bannings, the two different bandings, were the opposite. Like, people expected something to be banned on the other list, like something from Modern, like <clears throat> Oko. But we didn't have that happen. And then people weren't really expecting much in the Pioneer band, and we had two cards get banned. Were you surprised by this? I was quite surprised, actually. Um, you know, we had to do some last-minute maneuvering for versus live deck lists, though uh, Corey actually kind of expected it. I was surprised, so props to him uh, when we were doing that planning yesterday. I thought they were, without any major events, they were going to get, you know, a good chunk of data before they made a decision. Now, what I did not factor in is that they're actually not making another announcement for three weeks because their office is going to be closed next week and the week after. Uh, you know, the wizard's office just like shuts down around Christmas so and, and New Year's. So I think with without the ability to also, you know, come in next week and make an announcement, they were a little bit more uh, gung-ho in doing something this week. And, they, you know, they said they were going to be aggressive, and they are. So they, they took the Magic Online data, and the Magic Online data that they cited is pretty damning. You know, when you have a deck that is twice as many 5-0s as anything else, and winning 60% of its non-mirror matches, that that is a, it may not sound like a high number, but that is a significant advantage to have just in deck selection alone. 
um, for the Simic Devotion deck that also did very well in in the PTQs. I think at a three in the top four in one of them. Uh, so definitely something to uh, definitely something that seems reasonable to react to. I don't think I don't think anybody is sad that Oko is gone. I'm sure there are some people out there that like bought their set of Okos fairly recently and are really mad about it, but any basically everyone I've talked to is saying good riddance. I I think the 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 sadness that you hear in relevance to Oko is that it's not gone enough. Yeah, you know, it's not two, gone two enough. Two down and like three more formats to go. We got Modern Legacy Vintage. Nobody Vintage. It's whatever. Everybody only plays one anyway. Yeah. Uh, so like we have two more two more to go. Modern Legacy, and then we will. Uh, we will finally be rid of this meddlesome planeswalker. Can, can we just ban 2019 magic cards? Is that a thing we can do? <laughs> yeah. Because that seems like it might fix a lot of problems as well. I, I yeah, mean, I, I, I kid, but I kind of don't, you know? We need we need to, like, Y2K magic. So, like, we're going to hit 2019, but look, why don't we just go back to 2018 uh, in, in, instead? And everything will be fine. Yeah, so, uh, like we referenced... Oko, Thief of Crowns, is now banned in Pioneer. And there was a second card that got banned. This one, um, I'll admit, I was surprised. You were surprised. I've been calling for this to be banned for a while, just because the card is heinous. The design is heinous. Like, everything about it is bad, in my opinion. <laughs> um, Nexus of Fate. This was surprising, because it won the first PTQ, right? Like, you know, kind of famously beating Todd in the, in the finals. And yep. hasn't really dominated since then, or anything like that. But... There's a lot of reasons to actually have this card just not in this format. Well, apparently, if you read their announcement, this was the second highest winning percentage among decks over the last, you know, since the last ban. Did they give okay. you numbers on, like, how much it was played versus other ones, too? Um, they, they, they didn't release those. I'm sure they have that data. Right. But That's they, what I'm um, curious about, but go ahead. Yeah. As long as it's above a certain threshold where you can take the, you know, the data for, a, uh, for win percentage seriously, then it... Uh, the difference isn't that relevant to me. Um, but notably, this was the second best performing deck, and one of its bat worst matchups was Simic Devotion. So the fear was that by removing Oko from the format, you just let the Nexus of Fate deck run wild, uh, which th they've done with recent bans. Like, a, like Reflector Mage was banned when they got rid of Smuggler's Copter and... Uh, Emrakul, because the Azorius decks had just been so good, even though the Emrakul decks had finally taken over from them. They thought, like, Look, these Azorius decks are just going to take over. They did, they did the same thing with Rampaging Ferocidon and Ramanap Ruins, uh, saying that, like, you know, the energy decks are, are gone, but these red decks are probably going to be way too good um, if we just ban the energy cards. So those cards went as well. So th this is in line with their recent philosophy in terms of how to handle the ban list and try to preemptively hit things if they think it's going to be a significant problem uh, in the you know metagame they're creating from the obvious ban. So uh, it, that's fine by me, and I agree with you. The card is just, um, just heinous. Though my grievance with it is less to do with the actual Simic Nexus deck, which I actually find somewhat interesting in a lot of games, uh, and I don't think, you know, at least for experienced players, it takes that long to, you know, loop through the deck, um, at least in paper. It's an, it's very annoying, I think, online, because you're with the chess clock, you're incentivized to just wait them out. Uh, but now there's functionality where you can literally, like, preemptively pass, and you don't have to F6 every turn. You can just say pass until my next upkeep, I guess. That's a new thing. 
So at least that helps, but it's still annoying to have to wait for them to go through it all. Um, my it, my primary issue with the card has always been the fact that it's like this weird promo where it's only available in foil, and like the card is marked. And every time I, I, I was actually on Todd Anderson's stream yesterday, and we talked a bit about the bands, um, and every time I have played against this deck in paper, and my opponent has not had mountains in their deck and instead had foil nexuses, I think to myself like. Is this person cheating me? Are their cards marked? And then I think, do I want to go through the whole rigmarole of like, I just want to make sure your cards aren't marked. I'm going to call a judge and just waste both of our time uh, for someone who like probably isn't like, you know, you know, pulling one over on me. And then they're going to probably react badly because everybody does when you accuse them. Like, even though you're not like accusing them of, of something shady, you're just covering your own ass. You know, like they might have a negative interaction or a negative, uh, you know, memory of that. And then, I have to worry, like, is this going to come back to me at some margin? And, like, all of these things are very tiny worries. This is not stuff that comes up a lot. I can see the Reddit post now. Like, yeah. Ross Merriam is an asshole. <laughs> this is just the paranoid mind that I have. So I recognize that, like, maybe these things aren't particularly realistic or they're very low chance of actually happening. But this is just what goes through my head. Uh, and I, I hate that. So that's actually why I hate Nexus of Fate. So I don't really give a fuck that it's gone. Um, if other people and it's similar to Oko, I haven't really found people that are that bent out of shape about it. I don't know how Dylan Hand feels. We'll have to check with him. Yeah, I'm I'm sure he's having some identity issues. These are like two things that he likes doing. He especially likes Nexus of Fate for some ungodly reason. I don't know. I remember when we were all teammates and he would talk in the team chat like, you know, what should we play this week and what's good? And we would all list like three or four decks that would be good. And he goes, All right, I'm just gonna play Nexus of Fate. Like every day, it just seemed like it was every single time, you know, we're like, dude, just, 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 just play something else <laughs> like, or whatever. But, um, yeah, you know, I gotta, I gotta agree with you on the points of, it, it doesn't necessarily have to do with the deck. And we, and we talked about this and this is one of the reasons I have a problem with the card. It doesn't have to do with necessarily the deck, but the card itself, like, you know, the physicality of it being a warped foil, you know, that's in your deck that is a problem. And also like the amount of shuffling involved in this deck is very annoying too. Like, you know, you have to, you know, constantly do this over and over and over again. And your opponent can't F6 in real life. They, they you know, if they, want, if they want to make you go through all of it, they have to cut the deck over and over and over again. And I have never been a fan of Magic where when, like, when someone is doing something and playing by themselves pretty much for a 5 to 10 minute period, and the other person is just sitting there looking miserable. It kind of reminds me of like when Eggs was good in Modern, you know, before they banned, like, what was it, Second Sunrise? and Eggs, Ironworks. Uh, yeah. It's been a lot of these decks so, over the years. <laughs> you know, if we were in a legal case, like if this was like, if we had to go to trial to get rid of cards, to get them banned, like we would be like, well, there's precedent here. You know, like we have banned cards like this in the past that are just bad for the game. It looks really bad on coverage. No matter how you do it, it looks bad on coverage. Also, like we've joked about this in the show multiple times, how weird it is when you're watching coverage and someone draws Mountain in their Simic deck, <laughs> it just has scr- it just has little you just see scribbles all over it and Sharpie, you know, and it just creates problems. Not to mention like just getting the card itself. There is a finite amount of them, <laughs> like you know, like way less than normal. And getting your hands on the copies of the card is annoying as hell. Like, did you hear about some of the PC players were actually worried about finding copies of Corvald for the weekend? Yeah, yeah, like all the stores were out. And- yeah, everyone was out. And, like, it's understandable, like, you know, it's it's a supplementary product. This is not in a pack. You can only get this one specific way, and if people do not, like, 
put them up for sale, put them into a local store or whatever, you cannot get this card unless you bought that product. And like, you might not have known a year ago or whatever when the set came out that you needed to buy four boxes of this set to get four Nexus of Fate, you know? Or you didn't know that you needed to buy four copies of that specific commander deck that they make, what, at least four of a year, if not more? I didn't think at least four a year. I'm not super up to date on Commander. Uh, sorry, Commander players. I'm not not hating on your format. I'm actually building a deck right now. Uh, Tannen goes casual. Hashtag. But I, I am hating on your format. Uh, where's that Reddit post again? Ross is an asshole. <laughs> Let's get it going. But yeah, so anyway, like I just think it's bad for the game. And it's just bad. Like I don't think competitive magic, especially like standard, was meant to do that. You know, to have these supplemental cards in it that aren't in booster packs. Oh, no, so, but, but they have to make them flashy so other people want them, and to make them flashy, they have to make them somewhat powerful, and then, oops, you know. Yeah, there's that line, right? Like, because, like, the first couple ones were not good enough, and a couple of other ones are not even near good enough to be played in standard, and they're like, all right, well, let's, let's push this one a little bit, you know? And, well, it got pushed enough, you and, know? And to be fair, like, Nexus of Fate, this is not a card that just, like, appears in, you know, r- random decks. It appears in very specific decks, and, like, over 95% of the time it has appeared and it's been alongside Wilderness Reclamation, right? Yeah. So, like, Reclamation has been a big part of it. And we've ta- we had some people talk about that. Like, I saw a lot of conversations on Twitter about bannings because that seems to be, like, one of the, the hot topics last year, obviously. And one of the phrases that I see people use a lot is, X got banned for Y's sins. You know, like, yeah. Nexus of Fate, here's, here's an example. Nexus of Fate got banned for Wilderness Reclamation, Wilderness Reclamation sins. And... That is a decent argument. You know, if we just ban Wilderness Reclamation, do you have to ban the card Nexus of Fate? You know, et cetera, et cetera. I also saw the argument, um, and I think this is a good one that people could talk about too, that maybe you're just supposed to ban Dig Through Time from this deck. And that, that'll fix problems that are going to arise later in the format while not having to, you know, do this. Yeah, I, I've heard both those arguments as well. And I don't, um, I don't like either of them. Uh, well, or I don't agree with either of them, I'll say. Uh, as for the first one, um, the argument that you could leave Nexus unbanned if you banned Reclamation also works the other way. I don't think anybody thinks Reclamation is getting banned in Pioneer anytime soon. And Reclamation might actually appear in some other decks. There are fair Wilderness Reclamation decks. We saw them in Standard. We can probably see them in Pioneer. I bet Todd Anderson is brewing them right now. He might be playing them on stream. I don't know. Yeah, there's like Lotus Field decks with like cool things going on with Expansion Explosion. Like, we don't know. This is a thing that could happen. Yeah, those pro- those decks aren't reclamating. But like t- like a team of reclamation deck, you, you I could imagine a deck like that, you know, being reasonable. Uh, and those decks actually are kind of fun, right? I, I, I played one in, in Standard. We top-aided the team open, remember? Um, I enjoyed playing that deck. I don't think anybody really, you know, hated playing against it. Not near to the same level that they hated playing against the McNexus. You had one of my favorite moments in a tournament that entire year. It was you versus, uh, it was Pete Ingram's team, who was the standard player. It Frank Scarin. Um, yeah, Frank Scarin. And he's playing, he was playing like, was it Mono Red Aggro? Mono, or? Mono, yeah, Mono Red. He's playing Mono Red Aggro. And uh, you, we haven't played each other in the tournament yet, but he knows what you're playing. And it was one of my favorite moments because he goes Mountain Go on turn, you know, game one. So it's pre-board. And you go like Dual Land or whatever, go. And he just goes, shock you. Which is like the worst play ever in this format. You know, it's just a million creature decks, and like Shock is actually actively very good in the format. And he's just like, I know what's up, I know what you're playing, shock you. And like everyone at the table just like lost it. Cause like I think I was like in a, getting deck tech or a deck checked or something, and I was like watching your match, and it was just 
if you understand like competitive play and like you know scouting each other's decks, it was just a very funny moment uh, to see him just straight up just he might even main phase it honestly. I think he might have just like sent a message like <laughs> made, you know, shock you go or whatever like turn one. And I I thought this it was is what I came here for. Yeah, exactly. Love but, it. Yeah, I mean, I, like I said, that deck that deck was cool. Yeah, because you weren't and going so- like super infinite and like you weren't you know looping things. You were just like you were a combo deck, which is cool. Yeah. So know, the, the cool. argument of like you know. We should leave this one in because it you know, might see play otherwise actually works more in Reclamation's favor that, uh, and to ban Nexus of Fate. And the play patterns with it just aren't nearly as heinous without Nexus. Uh, as for the second argument, once again, like Dig Through Time, yeah, it appears in other decks, right? It's in all, basically every single control deck. It's in most combo decks in Pioneer. But none of those decks have been particularly dominant. And in the control decks specifically... Dig Through Time is not a a huge piece of the, the puzzle. It's no, usually a two of. You know, it's not this four of that we saw during its time in Standard, where it was the premier card draw spell of the format, and every control deck played four. It even had a small amount of time in Legacy, like after they banned Treasure Cruise. It is, yeah. I mean, they didn't ban Dig Through Time with it. <laughs> yeah, you had the, we had the Omnitel deck with Dig Through Time. and, and The, the Delver that. decks were playing Dig Through Time. <laughs> I did, yeah. I top-aided an Invitational with the Sultite Delver deck with two Dig Through Times. I, I remember playing an event right after it, and like I turned one to Delver of Secrets, and then immediately revealed Dig Through Time. It's like, here's my, what is it, an eight drop or whatever? You know, here's my yeah. eight drop to, to reveal to my Delver of Secrets. This is so weird. There we go, yeah. So, uh... Uh, once again, I think the format is healthier because Dig Through Time will see play and people like playing it. Uh, and I don't think the card is overpowered, though it is It is on my watch list. That was a recent article I wrote. I, I think it, it might get there. Who knows? Um, you know, we'll see how the format shakes out. But as of, from what I've seen thus far, Dig Through Time seems like a healthy part of the metagame. And a while a powerful part, you know, a fun one. Mm-hmm. I definitely agree. I definitely agree. I, I think Dig Through Time is fine. And there's, you know, because we're going to get to this in just a second. We can kind of, like, start segueing into our next thing. Like, what are the decks that are kind of, uh, you know, where we go from here? Like, what are the winners yeah. from, from from these 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 cards being banned? And Blue-Eye Control is obviously a big winner. Like, this is, this is a deck that was already making headways of possibly being the best deck in the format behind, you know, the Blue-Green um, Simic deck. And if you take that out, like, you take out Oko, which is a, which is a card that deck has a problem with. Like, Land War Elves into Oko is probably game over against a blue-white deck. They're just not going to be able to keep up. And this is a deck that, if it's the best deck in the format, or quote-unquote, like, the best deck in the format, one of the decks to beat, is that really a bad thing? I, I don't think so. And it's not like Dig Through Time is busted-busted in that deck. Like you said, it's doing relatively fair things, where it could, in the other decks, be doing very unfair. Yeah. You know, their primary source of card advantage comes from Big Teferi still. Yeah. And there are other Planeswalkers. They play Little Teferi. Maybe they play Narset. Sometimes you see a J- one Jace Architect of Thought. See a good collection of Planeswalkers in those decks. Not a ton of counter spells, but just enough. And then your two digs usually have one Revelation, Smattering of Removal, four Supreme Verdict, and you're good to go. So uh, I am I think it's just a good part of those decks. I completely agree with you that Azorius Control, you know, a, a Control deck should be around. People like playing Control decks. Uh, you know, I like playing against control decks with a lot of things. So if, if I'm playing like a, an aggressively slanted mid-range deck, yeah, playing against control, I think is fun. I like that gameplay. So we haven't, we hadn't really seen up until the last two weeks uh, control doing that well. And now we've finally gotten to that point, which I think is a good sign in the evolution of the metagame. You know, uh, I've, I've said this multiple times now that this is sort of the beta test era of Pioneer. 
and you know we should be looking to the to this. Are, are we in a spot where the metagame looks diverse and healthy, and we like the gameplay and a control deck emerging as being good after you know a month of it basically being unplayable is a very good sign because uh, you know it, it's a sign that we've gotten some of the degener- degenerate decks uh, in check. Uh, and you know the, the fact that that control deck was existing alongside you know green creature decks and some aggro decks and a couple combo decks is great. Uh, I agree. The uh, Azorius control seems like the it's just the sort of level zero like deck, the de facto, right? Yeah, yeah. yeah because if you were to just rank the decks that existed before this last ban, it would be somewhere near the top, and it would specifically be the top deck that does not contain one of the banned cards, and that's yeah. always the level zero. It's just go down the list. Chat like cross off all the decks that have banned cards in them, and what's the top net? What's the new top? Azorius Control is that it did really well two weeks ago. We haven't seen a lot of results from this last weekend, uh, and the the other decks around it were all Oko and Nexus of Eight decks. So specifically Oko, because the other top decks were both Simic, uh, Devotion, and Aggro. So um, the you know we can we can start targeting Control a little bit more. That's good. That'll help you know keep it in check some. Um, and I'll like, you know, you talk about banning take through time, like the, this control deck still can be good without dig, you know, play a second revelation and like a land and you're probably, you know, the almost as good as you were before. Yeah, It's like one half, one way, <laughs> six the yeah. other way. Um, honestly, like one of the things I'm excited about with Oko going from this format is I can now play a green deck where I don't have to have a good reason to not have blue in my deck. And vice versa. I can play a blue deck now and not have to have a very good reason not to have green in my deck. Because, like, if you're playing one of those colors, you probably should have just been playing Oko. Like, you know, besides yeah. the blue-white deck, obviously. Like, I, I, th- I think that worked a lot more with implying green should play blue than the other direct than the other way. Right. Yeah, um, yeah sure. But yeah, like, no, you know, there was, there was Gruul aggro decks. You know, they yeah. weren't playing Oko. And that was about it. Um, I, I guess for a little while, Mono Green Devotion, but that had banned cards in it. So sort of an exception. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, I, I'm I'm there with you. I'm interested to see where, um, you know, Lanawar Elf, Elvish Mystic, Lovestruck Beast goes, and uh, basically the Simic Stompy deck. Is that deck completely unplayable now? Does it still play blue because you want Stumber Denial? Is it does it become more of just a straightforward aggressive deck? It'd be mono green with like Aspect of Hydra. How um, do you love that card? <laughs> I do love that card. I'm interested in what that deck does because I think that deck still want to. Huge number of its games by just be saying mana creature three mana five power creature second five power creature on turn three stub you, know, you. Like, yes stub you or just kill you if you can't answer these fives. I mean, there was a really good deck in standard, you know, like a year year and a half ago where we called it. I think it was called like Steel Leaf Stompy, where they splashed blue, you know, just for like a counter spell here or there, you know, or like you know, I think it played like commit to memory, you know, kind of thing. Yeah, and that's a deck that could actually just be good in this format, especially if we're like. Good. Yeah, that's but, what I'm saying. But that it, could be a deck that's Oko still good being a part of it has been a, a pretty... Oko being there has been a pretty big part of it. Because, in particular, all of your creatures trumped an elk. So you were able to just turn all, like most creatures off. So once you gave them two elks, then it's like, okay, now you have something to check. But usually you don't, didn't give your opponent two elks. Usually yeah. it was elk that thing, then start making my own elks. Then we trade off some elks. Then I elk another thing. Yeah. The entire time my five power things are doing stuff. But yeah, it's too much to handle. Yeah. Yeah. And so when I too think many, about too it, many elks. 
Yeah, when I think about too many elks, it's like every yeah. format in Magic. This is it is reindeer time. Yeah, the elk's time is over. <laughs> yeah. So when I think about it, I think of Lowstruck Beast, which is quite possibly just like the best creature in in Pioneer, or at least was for a little while. Like Steel Leaf Champion, and maybe a couple other like really good three drops. You put a couple two drops in the deck, and like that deck is still good. You know, like how many one drops do you play is a question, and you you know splash for maybe Stubborn Denial depending on how good it is in the format. You have some heroic interventions maybe or something along the lines of that to stop supreme verdict and like that deck's still pretty good i think one of the issues is they were actually up to playing 10 one drops without once upon a time and they were generally playing four goose three each of the elves of the food, yeah 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 uh, now you really don't have you can't really play goose in that deck without oko so you probably just have to play eight elves and like hope for the best so that's another hit in the deck's consistency i actually kind of think that deck is bad now yeah, I was like, like wondering about the consistency of it or whatever, but... Yeah, when it does its thing, it's good. Uh, but one of its advantages was that it did its thing so consistently when it had Once Upon a Time. And when it, even when it didn't, you were able to like slow down a little bit, uh, pivot into this food engine. They were incorporating Wicked Wolf uh, to go along with Oko and Goose. And now you've cut that pivot out. And so you have a deck that needs to be more aggressive because it doesn't have the interactive cards uh, from the food engine and isn't nearly as good at being aggressive because it's lost significant consistency from one losing access to once upon a time and now effectively losing access to one of its one mana mana accelerants because it's no longer uh very good in the deck so that, that's got to be mm-hmm. that's actually might be a bigger loser than like simic devotion i think you can mm-hmm. still probably make like a, a fringe playable devotion deck it's probably back to being mono green um and, and you're playing you know your voracious hydras and your uh nissas and your uh, Vivians and whatnot. Uh, mm-hmm. Deck might not be great, but it, it definitely still is around. But the 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 Simic Stompy deck, it, it's taken a lot of hits over the last uh, over the last three weeks. Uh, it might be might be one too many punches. Might be down for the count. Yeah, maybe. And it's pretty interesting. So, like w- w- like you said, we we were kind of at this point where the de facto quote unquote best deck right now is just the best deck that didn't have cards banned, which is possibly blue white control. And so one thing that I've seen, and we saw this with like some of the the PTQ results that came out of um, the Grand Prix that was going, so we kind of saw a lot of some stuff, you know, some chatter on Twitter. Um, one of the decks that won one of the PTQs there, and I've been kind of hearing some some chatter behind is is Spirits. You know, a deck that we saw a little bit at the beginning of the format when Pioneer first came out, and then we realized oh, it wasn't good enough to kind of keep up with some of the stuff. But that's a deck that has a good matchup against control decks. Like, you played instant speed very well. Uh, Selfless Spirit does pretty good against uh, Supreme Verdict, which is, like, you know, the backbone of the blue-white deck. And you have multiple ways to answer Supreme Verdict with that and Spellcaller. And you're just, like, this good aggro deck that can play at instant speed and have a couple counter spells yourself. That's a really good recipe to beat the best deck. Yeah, especially this version of Control, which is more of a tap-out style with all those Planeswalkers, you know, they're not able to play on your end step as much as you are able to play on theirs. Um, it definitely seems like a good foil to control decks in particular. Um, one thing that worries me a little bit about that deck is that I think one of the res- end results of these bands is that spot removal just starts getting better. I get decks that just played like 10 removal spells, you know, like more control side um, mid-range decks sort of attrition mid-range decks, they, they didn't really see a lot of play. There was that very first week where the Sultai mid-range deck, good stuff, did well. And since then, like, those decks, they just weren't very good because 
most of what they were doing, like uh, other decks got like 60% to 80% of what those decks are focused on doing just out of playing four Oko. Like the Simic Devotion deck got to play that game and the Simic, uh, you know, Stompy decks and the, you know, whatever other deck you want to put it in, got to play those kinds of kinds of games just with Oko because the card was that powerful. So now without Oko in the format, those kinds of decks have some room to breathe. So I think, it, you know, uh, not to mention that like their main threats are these like three to five mana value creatures that Oko was specifically preying on. It's so like Siege Rhino, Nicolas the Ravager, the Scarab God, Rogue Refiner, Corsair of Crufix, Tireless Tracker, all of these things, I think get significantly better, and those kinds of decks start to show up. And those kinds of decks usually have a good amount of removal to prey on the spirit decks. Now, maybe you can get to the point where the spirit decks are like getting out in front of them, but you don't have Aether Vial, you don't have Noble Hierarch, and those are the big ways that the modern spirits deck is getting out ahead. So I'd be a little skeptical of the Spirit stack in those kinds of matchups. But if you're talking about what you want to play this week in your preliminaries and your PTQs and your whatever tournaments you're playing, if you're playing Pioneer uh, right before uh, the holiday, then the, the Spirit stack is going to be well-positioned. I'm, I'm worried about it long-term, but I think it's really well-positioned short-term. Okay, okay. Uh, I know another thing that you thought was well-positioned, maybe not in the short-term, this might be here to stay. Or graveyard decks, and you wrote yeah, an article about it, right? Yeah, that's my article this week on on Star City Games. It is live now, so you can go check that out. Um, in particular, the, the ones that are doing well, and they were already starting to do uh, reasonably well in the you know Oko metagame, are the Rally Zombie deck and what MTG Goldfish calls Dredgeless Dredge. Uh, I mercifully called it Sultai Dredge in my article because I'm pretty sure Setter Kate's that name. Um, but you know, it, it the, the Sultai deck is basically like Price Malgum and Archimiba, Creeping Chill, all the hits here you remember from modern. Uh, but instead of enabling it with dredge cards and the red enablers, Cathartic Reunion, formerly Faithless Looting, things like that, uh, you have access to just one shot effects Grizzly Salvage, Gather the Pack, Seder Wayfinder, Stitcher Supplier. That deck, um, I, I like the look of it. Uh, and it has a lot of good recursive threats. It plays some scrap heap scroungers in the pioneer version. It also plays three to four copies of Gurmag Angler, and that gives it this like nice big threat. One of one of the issues that dredge decks can have is uh, just people beating them on the on the battlefield. Yeah, there's like a four four just blocks everything. Yeah, yeah exactly. And modern doesn't have a ton of those kinds of decks because they get pushed out by the powerful control decks and the powerful ramp decks. Um, so you don't see it as many, so it's not as big of an issue there, and you also have conflagrate, so you were able to, uh, you know, affect much more of a go wide strategy, and you just burn them out with conflagrate and creeping chill. That's harder here, so I like a Gurmag Angler as an addition. I think it leads to uh, a lot of explosive draws where you're like, you know, turn one Stitcher Supplier, turn two Grizzly Salvager, gather the pack, turn three, play a second one of those cards, play a Gurmag Angler, and I've you know milled over a quarter of my deck and added an extra 5-5, five, five, uh, and I've, I've probably hit a Narcomoeba and an Amalgam or something, so I've probably got 10 power or so on turn 3. I haven't, you know, lo- I haven't really lost any uh, equity. Like, all the enablers are card neutral, which is another nice thing, uh, That and that helps you grind through a little bit of hate, um, because we, we still have the same good hate cards. Lay on the Void, Rest in Peace, 
no relic of progenitus, I guess. We have some 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 of the worst versions like Scrabbling Claws and stuff like that. Yeah, Scavenging Oozes around. That one's uh, that's a very popular good. one. But I, I think I think that deck could be good. Um, uh, and it is, uh, you know, so I tried out some graveyard decks in my very first, um, you know, when we were still exploring the format, uh, and they were a little bit, they were just a little slow. Uh, compared to a lot of the great things that people were doing. But as we get more and more bands, the format keeps slowing down a little bit. And if it slows down to the point where the graveyard decks are, are in the range uh, and they're not just getting you know buried while they're trying to set up, then you know these decks are still playing really powerful recursive threats. If people go towards a lot more spot removal because we don't have Oko uh, and we get to play more like good creatures, then that spot removal matches up well against those creatures, maybe doesn't match up well against Scrappy Scrounger, Prized Amalgam, and the like. Uh, so that was sort of my thinking with the graveyard decks. The zombie rally deck, I think, is actually just re- really good. Um, there is you hate this. You hate the sideboard, though, right? I know. I know. Yeah, yeah. The sideboard need, needs a lot of work. Uh, and uh, every list I see plays Temple of Silence instead of Shambling Vent, and that makes no no fucking sense to me. <laughs> so I I played. I I filled around with it last night. I immediately put Shambling Vent in the deck, and every time I drew Vent, I was so happy it wasn't Temple of Silence. Um, so uh, uh, that I would start there and then really work on a sideboard. But Dark Salvation is a really powerful card, especially if we're in more of an attrition-y metagame with these mid-range cards. Like, I Dark Sal- I ripped a Dark Salvation against a Thought Not Seer in my very first match against it, and the game just ended. Like, I, I FTK'd my opponents, basically FTK'd their, their Thought Not Seer. That's an abbreviation for Flame Tongue Kavu, by the way. I probably have to explain that. Yeah, a lot of our a lot of our listeners might not have been born yet. Actually, yeah. it's like maybe not, or definitely weren't into magic or you know into their formative years. I don't think anyone uh, understands how uh, ubiquitous Flamton Kavu was back in its heyday. Yeah, it was like one of the first real like one eight seven creatures like that. Necrotal. And stuff, yeah, you know? Necrotal was the was the OG. The OG yeah, visions, uh, right? Fl- uh, yeah, Flamton Kavu like it dominated standard. Any any creature that cost four or more mana had to survive a flame Kavu, or it just was unplayable. It, it failed the FTK test, and it, it was like the first of that kind of card that it was so ubiquitous that it created a test for everything else. Since then, we've seen some other examples of that, um, but uh, FTK was just that that ubiquitous, and it was an uncommon. What a great day, you know? Format staple printed at uncommon. That didn't Oof. happen much back then, and like oh, of course it did. There was a blue green madness was an entire deck of oh, commons. Oh I'm yeah, I'm sorry. I mean, I mean like nowadays we don't get it as much. Like you look at decks that are like, you know, it has 36 cards in it, 30 of them are rare. You know, and then and the yeah. lands might all be rares too. You yeah. know, like depending, you know, just um sorry, I misspoke a little bit there. Back in the day we didn't have as many rares in our mana bases, but that's because there just weren't as many lands. We played a lot <laughs> no. of basics. Yeah. yeah. We we played the rare lands we could. Uh was it uh Ken Hoth? Yeah, I remember putting Mirrodin's Core in a lot of my multiple color decks just because I was like, oh, it's mana fixing. And if anybody at home, go, go look that one up. We were happy to have that. I think it was Ken Ho who played the Tarnished Citadel in his Blue Green Madness deck, and everybody thought he was a, a crazy person. Yeah, it might have been him. I was going to say, uh, I was. That's kind of my comeback to Magic was around that time. And I was a little bit after Blue Green Madness. I also played a little bit of Mono Black Control during that time. You know, I was an innocent blood player. Like It was, it was Ken Ho. Oh, so here, here we go. Here, here's a good little blast from the past. So that was one of the times where I came back to Magic, right? And I hadn't played in, in God knows how long before then, you know? Um, so the rules had changed a lot, right? 
uh, what was it, sixth edition when the rules changed? And we got like yeah. damage got on the stack. stack. Yeah, we got the stack, et cetera, et cetera. So I go to my local store and I buy a pack of cards. One of the first cards I see when I come back, my friend shows me, it's a, it's a foreign card. And I'm like, what's, hey, what's the name of this card? It looks cool. It's a multicolored card. And he's like, it's Spirit Monger. <laughs> and I'm like, okay, well, this is a 6-6 six, six for five mana. Like, what are, the, what are the drawbacks on it? And he reads the card off to me. And I'm like, that's not real. Like, this, this card cannot be real. Because, you know, when I played, this card had been the best card printed, period. Like, like hands down, this is, like, the best card, you know? And uh, so I was like, oh, okay, so, like, maybe the, the, the stuff got better. So think about this. I'm a new player. I, I don't even know what damage of the stack means, none of that stuff. I go to my local store. I buy a pack of Odyssey, right? It's the first pack I open. I, do you know where this is going? You're giggling. Um, I don't know exactly where it's going, but I know there are a lot of shitty rares in that set. <laughs> so I open my cards. And I open my rare, and I read it, and then I read it again. <laughs> and I, I hope read you it opened again. my invitational card. What was that? Pedantic learning. No, I didn't learn pedantic learning. But so the third time that I read the card Marari, I'm, I'm standing. <laughs> in, you know where this is going. I'm standing in the card store. I look around, and there's like you know a ton of people playing Magic. And I just walk up to this per- this person, and I'm like, Hey, uh, do you like play a lot of Magic? Like, you know, are you? And he's like, yeah, yeah, I'm here every week. It was like Thursday night Magic at the store here called like Little Wars or something. I think it was Thursday nights we used to do it. I'm like, do you play like tournament stuff? Do you understand rules? And he goes, yeah. So for everybody at home who doesn't who doesn't know where, where I'm going with this, the card Marari references the stack, like literally mentions it in the text. And so I look at this person, just dead ass, ask them, so where is the stack? Like when I cast a spell, do I put it on top of Marari? Do I just like put it on here? And then like, I had no earthly idea how this card worked just because it mentioned the stack. <laughs> and so when you told people like FTK and like, they might not know what's going on. I feel that Ross. Like I feel that in my soul because he just started laughing at me. And so he had to explain the stack to me. And like, I could still see it in my mind of him putting his hands on top of each other. And he's like, yeah, so like you'll cast your spell and like, I'll cast mine, but mine's going to resolve for something like that's stupid. I cast mine first. Why does why does yours why does yours beat mine? Yours isn't an interrupt, you know. Like, and then I'm like, well, well, what happens if I do this to the damage prevention step? And they're like, yeah, that doesn't exist anymore. And so I'm like, okay. And then they invite me to come draft with them, so I draft with them. Uh, I get yelled at for for passing cards that I pass. I'm like, I've never done this before. So obviously my first you know iteration back in Magic is great. And then the first time that. Uh, my opponent attacks me with a 3-3, and I block with a 3-3, and they're like, okay, damage on the stack? I'm like, what? But ex- Explain. And then they cast a spell to, ke- you know, and I'm like, what's going on? Yeah. Like, <laughs> I don't unsum- Unsummon their creature. And- yeah, I'm like, what? Am I dead? Like, how does this even make sense? So I'm pretty glad that they got that rule gone, by the way. But anyway, so long diatribe, long tangent gone. People who uh, are... are- your feelings about damage on the stack are one of the litmus tests I used to see if somebody is uh, a piece of shit or not. Because every single person who bemoans the lack of damage on the stack is just an asshole who loved taking advantage of inexperienced players with completely unintuitive rules. So if you call that skill intensive instead of calling it asinine, then I know you're just an asshole. Because I'll admit, when when that rule was a thing, and uh, we used to have, like, you know, remember the big pre-releases? Like, your state would have, like, oh, one yeah. or whatever. We would go down to New Orleans, and I remember there would be hundreds of people there, like, for yeah. this pre-release. Like, it used to be very big. This was before Katrina and stuff as well. And uh, our, our magic scene was thriving. It was big. 
And I would play in like two or three pre-releases, maybe four. I would go both days, and you run these huge flights. And depending on how well you did, you got a bunch of packs. Yeah, the, the, and, there was one big flight a day, and yeah. like a bunch of mini flight, like on demand. We, we used to get like like two sometimes. Like if you like, they would they would stagger them. Like one at like ten in the morning, and then one at like two or something. So you could play both if you wanted or whatever. Okay. But I remember I did not lose very much, and I don't mean that as in like I was just so good I didn't lose it very much. It's just versus the average player there who was like more of a casual player and I was more of a competitive player and them not understanding how like to stack damage and stuff like I was always hoping to get the giant growth or unsummon effects of the set I didn't care about my rares you know <laughs> within reason obviously yeah. but like you would just win combat because you would just two for one them one too many times you do like two or three you know one or two times every game and they could never win anyway what were we talking about we just like made this huge tangent back to back to spirits um yeah we were talking about spirits no we were talking about graveyard decks i was talking about um i was talking about the zombie card dark salvation uh so the the zombie deck <laughs> is uh <laughs> so the zombie great. deck yeah this is great i when you said that i couldn't help but laugh so hard yeah. it it functions okay as an aggro deck uh i think it's a little removal light in that regard and so i kind of want to add a, a few more removal spells to it uh, because a lot of its creatures are sort of two mana two twos, and it doesn't play any of the anthem effects that you might be uh, remembering from its days in standard. There's no Lord of the Accursed in this deck. There's no uh, Liliana's Mastery because it's got to be super creature heavy for um, Rally the Ancestors, and then it plays all of the drain cards that are white, Corpse Knight and Wayward Servant, um, to like set up these big rally turns. So you don't really have room for all the anthems. So your creatures can get mopey if you're not killing blockers. Uh, so I'd like to see a little bit more removal in it. You know, I, I've putzed around with it. And it, it's one of those decks where, like, I did okay. And I thought, I did okay, but I know that this deck can be better built by a, a huge margin. And that was actually my, the first um, reaction I had to Is It Phoenix in Modern. You know, I, I played, like, two leagues with it. And with the old lists that we're playing for is a charm and for Bedlam Reveler and weren't playing gut shot. And I was like, yeah, when I, you know, draw my cantrips and I thing in the ice, them, this deck looks great. And I was able to win through graveyard hate some amount of the time. And I was, I think I went like seven, three over two leagues, which is like average to slightly above. Um, and, but I thought like this deck can change by quite a bit and get a lot better. And then so I reformed the sideboard, added crackling Drake, added gut shot and, uh, that got you know, infinitely better. I'm not saying that, you know, Rally Zombies is going to be Is It Phoenix. I don't think it's quite at that level. But um, anytime I'm like doing okay with the deck or doing average to above, the, uh, and I'm and I think there's a lot of room for improvement. I'm usually pretty excited about it, and th and that's where the zombie deck is. Yeah, it's it's also just a cool deck, too, right? You know, if you're a fan of like Rally the Ancestors or Zombies or any of that kind of like. Zulapore cutthroat kind of thing you know like there's a lot of there's a lot of crossover for like commander players to like something about this standard players to like something else so, like if you liked rally during it season it plays along the lines of of those kinds of strategies and I, I think the deck is definitely you know something that at least needs to be explored more and messed with one thing I struggled with was sweepers and not just things like anger the gods at exile just like straight up supreme verdict if I didn't have a rally or they dealt with the rally somehow like you really don't have a lot of good ways to play through it. And sometimes if their verdict just came down on turn four, I was so starved for resources that my rally just didn't do a whole lot um, or didn't do enough. I mean, uh, because I sort of, you sort of need the rally sort of your, one of your big ways to, you know, uh, gain reach and close out a game after your opponent is stabilized. It's, it's sort of like patriarchs bidding in, uh, 
in the that's old goblin one. bidding yeah, deck. Yeah, that's a good analogy. Yeah, yeah. Um, except it's it's just a it's I mean it is a one shot bidding. That's just literally what the card is. But the fact that it's a one shot means that like it needs to do a lot. Uh, so I, I think the, one of the things that I'm targeting for the sideboard is threats that can help me, uh, you know, not be so vulnerable to sweepers. And that, I'm looking at like uh, Gideon Blackblade, Gideon Alexandrikar, things in that uh, mold uh, could be quite good. So. We'll, we'll see how it does there. It definitely is going to have to perform against sweepers because Azorius Control is, is out there. Um, and, and if that ends up being a problem, then maybe I'll err towards the Dredgeless Dredge side of things. But the zombie deck looks so cool, and I'm such a big fan of Cryptbreaker, and it's so good with Lazadep Reaver. I just, casting turn one Cryptbreaker into turn two Lazadep Reaver is like, this is everything I want to be doing. I'm yeah, playing a bunch of cheap creatures. I'm playing a bunch of cheap creatures. I'm drawing cards. I'm setting up cool synergies. That's a, that, those are the three things I want to do in Magic. I can I can see it. I mean, I watched you play it a little bit last night. Deck definitely has legs. I think it's definitely something you know that's it's gonna be. I started losing forward. when you came on though. Yeah, it's not my fault. I'm bad luck. I, it's not my fault, Ross. I can't help it. Okay, I can't help it. You I just can didn't... stay away from me. That way, I can win. Your life would be worse though. Maybe in the non-winning categories. Just, uh, what if it was just nothing but Benny on screen and not you? Well, then your life would be great. Yeah, so maybe we should try that and then I would I, never lose. I'll say this. You remember your Open that you won last year? Yeah. Where was I? Didn't you leave before I won? Yeah, but I told you we were going to win, but I had to leave for you to win, and you won. And then all the other times you top-aided and I was there, you did not win. That's true. I was there for all the, all other- the other ones. <laughs> Granted, all the other times I topped it that year were team events I was playing with you. Hey, <laughs> hey, the math checks out, Ross. All right? I knew this for a fact. Why like, didn't I, I win any Opens this year? You were never around. Uh, Riddle well, me that, only, Tannen. It was, only, it was only the second half, and you, and you shat the bed. So I had two top eights in the second half of the year. Yeah. And two in the three. first half of the year. Should have had three. You were around for one in the first half of the year. Were you, were you there? You were there in Worcester. Were you still there? I think you left early because that was... Oh, no, it was Jim who left early because that was when Bernsey died. In, oh, yeah, yeah. Rip Bernsey. But, but did Worcester, you leave early too? Because you did badly. I think you just left on Sunday. Uh, That was one of the ones. There was... No. Yeah, there was... I mean, I left early a few of the ones where I did badly. Like, let's be I, real. I, I, top eight, I top eight of both Worcesters. One of them was the one I lost to Dom in the semis. The other one was I lost when I lost to Aaron in the finals. No, I watched both of those from home, if I remember right. So I'm and not yet sure. And I lost both of them. All right, anyway, uh, so besides, like, decks that are winners, because I do think there's a few other ones, I got to say, just honestly, winners of this banning are just creatures in general. Yeah. Like, I feel like the Scarab God got unbanned. You know what I mean? Like, cards like cards like that that are just, like, actually cool cards that can, you know, the game can kind of go around. Like, the creatures that feel like Planeswalkers, you know what I mean, that take over games that are really, really good. Well, well now they're, they're much better because they don't just get turned into Elk. You know, yeah, and oh, yeah. I Comple- completely agree. Yeah, it seems people uh, start talking about that. Um, I know that. I mean, we we talk about this deck a lot. The Clyde the Glide Drexler type, uh, or Clyde the Glide mono black versions might be a deck that you know you can kind of revisit as just being good because like, you know, it's got some hand disruption, a decent enough clock, good removal, just a good deck overall. You know, yeah, that deck picked up a little bit after the most recent ban. Um, though we've seen sort of a shift back towards the regular mono black aggro deck, even without Copter, um, with, with just Rankles and Spawn of Mayhems and different one drops instead of Night Market Lookout. 
So yeah, they're going with like four wrinkle now to have more, just so they have some synergies with their one drops and 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 stuff. Yeah, you know, so the creatures and stuff. But I, I do I do like me some Soren. Yeah, I I still I still think Drana is poop, and I don't know why it's in the deck. Every time I see the list, I look at that card, I just like shrug and shake my head because I'm not sure as well. Yeah. I do agree with you that I think Soren is busted, but as someone who wrote an article about Drana, expecting it to see play in standard. I was wrong, <laughs> and like, I just... I never got that one. Like, people, you know, uh, one of my friends got really excited about it and got a bunch of them, and I was like, I'm not so sure about this one guy, you know, and... I just thought it had reasonable stats, and like, yeah, it didn't provide value immediately, but if it just connected once, it was going to be really good. Was it, and I was thought it the at same, three mana, that was fine. Was it in the same format as Bolt? Was Bolt legal at no, the time? No, no, it was, it was well, this is well after Bolt. It was after, okay, because I wasn't playing competitively at the time, but I remember my friend, like... My friend uh, getting really excited about it. And I, it's like one of those cards when I saw it, I'm like, look, I wouldn't be surprised necessarily if this card was good at some point in a deck. Like, it's powerful. But this it's one of those in, cards. in Battle for Zendikar block. Yeah, so like when I, when I look at it, it's one of those cards I look at and I'm like, yes, it's cool. It has a lot of text. It doesn't, but like, I don't think this card's actually good. You know what I mean? Like, it's not going to have an impact. Like, where is it going to have an impact? It, it, and it ended, it ended up being one of those cards. You were very right. Um, yeah. one, one thing I will say it has going for it, specifically in Pioneer, is that. Three mana and three toughness uh, works really well in the format because you dodge Wild Slash and Fatal Push. Okay. So th three mana, three toughness are, is actually important stats. It's one of the reasons I think um, if you've looked at any of the preview cards from uh, Theros Beyond Death, the Satessan Champion, the Constellation card, it's three mana, three toughness, which is really nice. Like the the only other sort of Enchantress enablers are like Eidolon of Blossoms, and that green-white centaur, uh, which is also two toughness, so it makes your card draw engine super vulnerable to removal. So Tessin Champion is you know cheaper than Eidolon, doesn't draw a card immediately, but it ends up being a little bit better against removal, and also becomes a pretty reasonable body because it gets countered every time. Uh, so I'm a little interested in that card in Pioneer for that reason. So I haven't been, I'm not like zero percent on Drana, but I do still think that that deck can do better, especially because like. On turn three, I never want to be casting a drawn. I just want to cast Soren every time. Yeah, I, I agree. I, I agree with you. That or you want to cast like a two drop in a thought seize or like a two drop in a fatal push or something. I also think Liliana Last Hope is sounds great in that deck. Like you have really you have some hot, really high value cards to rebuy. Um and it, it provides two pips of devotion and uh um is just a generally a powerful magic card. It's good against spirits <laughs> if that deck picks up a lot of popularity. Yeah, I mean I definitely could see that too. That card's you know, someone asked the question um, last week on the show. They were like, what's a card that you thought would be, you know, big in Pioneer and you you thought would, you know, have an impact and just hasn't? You know, Liliana of the Last Hope has not had a huge impact in this format. And it has been, it is one of the more powerful Planeswalkers, period, in, in the format, especially three mana. Yeah, we've seen a fair bit of it in Modern since it's printing and it was very good in Standard, but really haven't seen a ton of it in Pioneer. It's usually like a one-of in a lot of midrange decks. Like in some of the delirium shells or whatever, yeah. Yeah, even non-delirium ones, just like you know, like a random like Sultai or Abzan midrange deck will just play like one. Uh, but those kinds of decks that it slots into are, you know, we mentioned earlier, as being decks that were suppressed by Oko. So maybe Liliana Last Hope is a winner from this ban as well, because its natural home is something that lost, it, uh, you know, a, a key predator. And so those kind of decks get to flourish and Liliana gets to rear her lovely head no absolutely that's a good point um i'm wondering if we're going to start seeing other versions of control decks soon like you know like i, I mentioned scarab god i wonder if like blue black control becomes a thing because 
you know, a lot of times in blue-white control is good, you see people shy over to blue-black control to beat it. You know, you have, like, access to cards like Thoughtseize and Duress in a mirror where counterspells rule. Like, that seems like a spot you might want to be in, and, you know, any mid-range kind of fight, any kind of fight like that, if you resolve a, a, a Scarab God, the game just pretty much ends. Like, it becomes about that card and that card alone. You know, if you played during that standard time, you know, that that was a big deal. So I've seen some people, you know, there's been some rumblings about that, and maybe that's something we need to look into in the future as well. Yeah, that's another way to go. Like, a, a, you know, Azorius Control, if people are playing that, then, yeah, I'll, I'll play Control deck that beats, wins the Control Mirror. Yeah, just shred um, them apart, yeah. Yeah, that that's, that's definitely a possibility. That said... They have Teferi, which is a pretty big one in the control mirror. Uh, this is three, t- well, Teferi Time Raveler, of course. That, that leads me to a point that I was going to make. If, if you can cast this card, I think this is a good point in time where your sideboard should have three, if not four, Mystical Disputes. Because like, if you think Blue-White Control is going to be a deck that's big, and you think Spirits is a deck that, that's possibly going to be popular, and some of these other things, like that card swings a matchup drastically. And yeah, I think, definitely. I think it could be very good going forward. Sometimes, yeah, it doesn't hit. It doesn't hit uh, supreme verdicts, but it hits a lot of the other important cards. And just answering to fairy, I think, is like one of the big things. And only having to leave up one blue mana to do so. Answering to fairy and just answering absorb, you know, resolving your threat. It's so much easier to play against control decks when you get them on the back foot early and they're forced to tap out because then you can just start, you know. You can then sequence your threats in a way where like, they have to answer each one with a removal spell, uh, and you, towards the end of the game, they just have dead counter spells in their hand. Um, so, you know, th- that's the kind of card that helps you get ahead and sort of start the blender. Where ever, um, that's a, a that's a term I'm borrowing from the Utah Jazz, by the way, which is what they call their offense. It's the blender. So the so one person penetrates and gets in the paint, and that causes the defense to rotate over to them. And then you pass the ball after, off to somebody who is now in an adv- advantageous position. And then they keep pressing that advantage as the defense is rotating. And eventually, you know, these small advantages accumulate and you end up with a really good shot. This is sort of what happens uh, against control. You get a little bit ahead by resolving a threat, sticking it early. Then they're forced to, like, verdict for a little bit less value or use a removal spell at the wrong time. And then you get to resolve another threat and generate a little bit of value or put them under a little bit more pressure. And towards the end of the game, either you, you know, if you sequence your threats correctly, they're left with an answer that doesn't line up with your last threat or they're left with, you know, a couple counter spells in their hand they never had a chance to cast while you're still ahead. Uh, and they're never able to establish a card advantage engine like Teferi because you're so always ahead on the battlefield. Um, so that that's the kind of thing you want you want to be doing against them. And Mystical Dispute is the kind of cheap interactive spell that helps you do that. So I mean, kind of overall, just like putting it all together, I'm pretty excited about this band just because like I'm kind of glad Oko's gone. Honestly, it just it felt like it was warping the format too much. Where like you kind of had to play it. You know the format. It's warping every format. Tannen. Well, did you yeah. watch the Players Championship, Ross? We're a podcast about Pioneer, but yes, I watched the Players Championship. It was something like ninety-four percent of the decks were green, or something like that from the weekend a- across across every format. Yes, yes. I did not see a, a statistic on that. I know it, every single standard deck was green. Yeah, I think it was something like over ninety-something percent of the decks were green. And then, so we had in modern, we had four devoted devastation decks. We had three Bant Snow decks. We had two Bant Urza, two Sultai Urza. That's 11 already. 
we had Amulet Titan and Titan Shift. That's 13. Uh, we had two human decks. Those are green. That gets us to 15. And then Hobbs was four-color Shadow, and one of his colors was green. So every single modern deck was also green. Hobbs is one of the people who didn't play, who played a deck that didn't have green in it. He played Grixis Delver. And then uh, Drake Sasser played Blue-Red Delver in, in Legacy. Uh, Legacy. Yeah. Yeah, so the two Delver decks in Legacy didn't have it, but there were... Uh, some Bant Miracles decks. I don't. I can't remember the exact Legacy metagame. It was just a whole bunch of like four color, and it was just a whole co- bunch of nonsense with like you know, Occam's Ash- Astrolabe and all that stuff. Which yeah, another card are too good. Green is messed up. I don't know why they started just giving green all the best sources of card advantage. It doesn't make any sense. Uh, and this is coming from someone who likes green a lot. Yeah, they they like made an effort. It feels like over the last couple of years, so like just make green a lot better. And like, yeah, maybe green wasn't playable. And it was like, have you looked at the color white recently in Magic? It's <laughs> yeah. unplayable. Like, it is so bad. And we yeah. could maybe give some of these cards to white because I'm not gonna lie, some of these green cards have seemed like white cards that have been pretty good, you know, or like kind of infringing a little bit on that on that color pie. So like, I don't know. It, it, I can't believe this. I mean, I can't begin to say that. I believe that I would, you know, do a better job in their shoes because I would not. Let, let's just let's just put it that way. If if I was the head of it all, it'd be like seven mana sorceries that do busted things all day long and stuff like that. You know, like you don't want to play in a format that I've created. The, the Theros might Theros Beyond Death might be for you. Oh yeah. I don't know. If, I don't know if you've seen the preview cards from today, but they previewed ten different rares and none of them cost less than five. Oh, I need to go look at that actually in a minute. I didn't even know that was going <laughs> not on. Not a but, single one of them is playable. Hey, I want a PTQ in, in, in Theros block, so I played on one of those Protors, so maybe, maybe we'll make Theros a return. Block limited? Uh, yeah, it was limited, yeah. Some Nessian Asps? Uh, I don't think I had Nessian Asp in my deck. I'm not 100% of that. I th- oh, now that I mentioned it, I think I was blue-green in draft, and I was black-white. I mean, blue-green in sealed, black-white in draft in the top eight. Uh, I had a lot the, of green The merchants. consensus worst color in that format was red. Yeah, I had a lot of green merchants. I like to drafting red decks. Yeah, <laughs> like, and I, when I say I had a lot of green merchants, I mean a lot of green merchants, Ross. Did you have four? I had three gray merchants in the first fifth, 16 picks or whatever. And then obviously that, that was it or whatever. But then I had a, uh, what was it called? Triad of Fate, sort of the creature that like lets you blink your own creatures. Yeah. Or whatever, the black, white rare. So I could just do it a lot. I had like Heliod in that deck and like some removal. Like my deck was very good or whatever in the top eight. And yeah. I had to play a couple of close matches. I remember that. I thought I was actually possibly going to lose at one point, but it ended up working out. But, um, I I tested that format so much on Moto, and I did well in like sealed dailies all the time. I remember playing against Paul Ritzel a lot, and <laughs> like I you know I was consistently three oneing, and I would four zero about as often as I would two two, and I would basically never do worse than two two. So I was winning like seventy five percent of my matches across mm-hmm. a pretty large sample, and every single PTQ I went to, I just got bodied yeah. every time, and I just couldn't understand it. I was like, what is going on? Maybe you're. Have you ever have you ever considered being luckier? <laughs> well, that that so that that season uh, that PTQ season ended shortly before the weekend of Providence, where I almost went back to back. And I remember uh, towards the end of the Swiss and Legacy, when I when I was I locked uh, top eight, I was just you know going through the motions of double drawing, and I was hanging out with some people, and Matt Costa made the joke to me that. I had won more matches that weekend than I had during the entirety of the PTQ season. And at the end of the weekend, I remembered the joke and went back and looked at my results in the PTQs, and he, he was right. 
He was, <laughs> he was he, not wrong. He was, yeah, he he was right. And I did not play a small number of PTQs. Uh, gotcha. So we just need, I, I think you should revisit my question, Ross, and consider being luckier. I think that is a thing you could work on in the future. I will. I should write a book on it. I'll let you have the first chapter for free. Maybe it'll help you out in the future. I'll, I'll write the foreword. Yeah, sure. <laughs> uh, so... For anybody at home that's listening, if you uh, ever, if, you, if you're a fan of our show, which I assume you are since you're listening, uh, we do have a Discord and it's pretty popular. It's got like, uh, I don't know, a couple, I mean, I can't even, I lost track after like, I think we got like it's four like or five hundred. Four to five hundred. Yeah, about four or five hundred people in it that are pretty active as well. I cannot keep up with it or whatever. But um, if you're a member of our Discord and also a patron of our show, you get to ask a question. Uh, in our mailbag stuff every week that we get to. Um, this week, it seems like a little bit went, uh, it was a little slower this week than it was last week, but I think it had to do with like the bannings and like the holidays and stuff that was going on. But there was a question that came up, and uh, I, w- I wanted to ask your opinion on it first because I want to hear what you think about it. Because it came up because of what happened this weekend at the PC. There, were, there was a few things going on, and I definitely was watching this going on. And the question is, uh, slow play has been brought up at the uh, SCG PC. Is there anything reasonable that's been done to fix or address this? Um, if you want to go ahead and go first, because uh, you're going to be a lot longer winded than I am because I have a very short answer to this. Um, well, well if you're going to be short, why don't you give your answer? No, my answer, my answer is just no. Like there's, you, you, you just don't think they can do anything. No, I don't think there's a good fix. Like, I don't think there's like, an, do, you, an actual, do you think it's a problem? Yes. That's a, so this is a two part question. Yeah. I, 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 you, you, I think it's a problem. Um, I don't know if there's a good way to fix it because it's so subjective. There's like no, you know, Hey, if they take more than, 27.5 seconds to make a play or whatever you know it's like it's how you feel and i don't like when they start like i have definitely been at events or played in times or feel like they when i say they i mean judges made a concerted effort to be better about it which i appreciate but then you start to get the other end of the spectrum like i would be thinking for 10 or 15 seconds during a hard turn after playing very quickly for the game and they'd be like you need to make a play and i'm like are you serious <laughs> like you know I, I try not to have that kind of reaction it's kind of hard not to have a visceral reaction immediately when someone you know does something like that to you but i think it's too hard honestly to get it perfect and yeah there's there's things we can do i i think the onus falls more on the other player in the game first before it falls on the judge i don't think we as players are doing a good enough job to self police what's going on in the games and getting judges involved more the problem is, is that a lot of times, sometimes when you bring over a judge for this, is like they don't do enough after the fact as well. But for every time I say that, I, I don't want to say that that always happens. I think that has happened. You know, there's definitely a lot of, most judges out there are great. So I, I didn't want my statement to be misjured to me saying judges suck. So Yeah, uh, this is definitely an issue, though. I think its prominence is a little bit overstated. Um, this is something that's talked about a lot. When it happens on camera, it becomes like more to the forefront of people's minds. Yeah, exactly. And and it, and it is bad for coverage for things to be so slow paced, right? Uh, so that's uh, another aspect of it. I'm a little more uh, optimistic than you are. I do think that judges can be uh, a little more strict with what they do. Like, uh, do you know what their um, their sort of um, rule of thumb is? Is it the dinosaur walking across the, the? Yes. Okay. Explain it's, it for you're, people. You're told, you're told to imagine a small dinosaur walking from one side of the table to the other, and if they get to the other side, it, that's a slow play. And it's like, well, 
how big is the dinosaur and how fast do they walk? Yeah, when do you start the dinosaur? Do you start immediately when they get priority? That seems that seems excessive, you know, like for mental energy wise. But uh, so yeah, that's a sort of that's that just seems like a very asinine way to do things because it it doesn't remove any literally any of the subjectivity of it because you can just imagine the dinosaur walking more sl- more slower or walking faster, uh, and that so uh, that to me doesn't make sense. I I think. Um, judges could be a little uh could be better about that there is going to be an issue of, of uniform policing um and the so th- that's tough but i think the biggest thing from the the player side is the reaction when you get called for slow play is always like in- incredulity it's like the the guy who gets called for a foul and they all, no matter what, how obvious it was, they look at the ref like, how could you call that? There's no way I did anything wrong. I was like, yeah, like most people know when they're taking a little bit too long. Um, so I think if we could change and be a little bit less like, you know, I'm not taking too long and incredulous about it, uh, then that would help. But I'm not even sold that it's the thinking about plays and like being in the tank that causes people to play slowly. I actually think it's just everyone's mechanics at the table. I, if you watch some of the people who have reputations for being very slow, the uh, you know the Jim Davises, the Joe Lissettes, the Zan Saeeds of the world, their their mannerisms, how they draw every card, you know how they do all all, all of just the the mechanics of playing Paper Magic is all really slow. I watched Zan pick like pick the card off the top of his deck still face down, slide it across the table, which is like the thing you do when you're slow peeling at the end of the game. But he did it for like every draw step. And then when he picks the card up, he like swings his hand across the table, across his body, and like looks at it on his left side after he picks it up with his right hand, then puts it into his hand. Like, I I don't know how you pick up that. And like, it's probably something he doesn't even notice. But that's the kind of thing that just takes forever. It just adds five seconds onto every single card you draw for the entire game, for every game. And like, if you're just that, like, if you if you do that for every little thing, you'd be surprised how much time you're adding to every game. Probably adding three to five minutes every single time. To be fair here, to be fair, sorry, to quote my favorite, one of my favorite TV shows, but to be fair here, I do think that if there's a line where people are like, you know, like if there's a line and on one side of the line is like, all the people who play slow and all the people who don't play slow and there's varying degrees pass the line. I do think you're on the slow side. Yeah. I'm a little slow. Not by drastic amounts, you know, at times, but you know, you're, you're just more deliberate in your thoughts than most people, which is, I, I don't, you know, I'm, I'm fine with that. I also think that you play the other turns quick enough that it's not a problem most of the time. And that's where I have problems is when people take a long time for everything. Like you said, just like taking too long to draw a card like if we're gonna go ahead, and go, you know, like you know, say people's names. Jonathan Rossum tilts me off the face of the earth. He takes like ten seconds to to draw his card. Like he he'll like he'll go into his upkeep. Like he'll untap. He'll go into his upkeep. He'll take the top card of his library. Like put it face down in front of him, and then like look at his hand and look at the board, and like still has not drawn his card. And I'm like just 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 draw your damn card, John. Like just just draw your card and do something. I've seen his teammates lose it over it, like in team events and stuff. You know, especially in in formats where like. You know, certain standard formats, like, you cannot take extra time, you know? It is, yeah, and just certain matchups that you know are going to go super long, it is uh, it is definitely a problem. I, I will say I, I do get fairly deliberate. 
Um, though I try to take shortcuts whenever possible. It, it tilts me to no end when people aren't willing to take reasonable shortcuts. If, like, I'm shuffling and I say, you can go, like, take your turn, because I'll usually have my hand face down and I'm watching them, I'm paying attention, and they're like, no, I want to wait. Like, that is, that's just ridiculous. Just take your turn. I agree. I'm shuffle. Like, I think it's them, like, wanting to watch me shuffle to make sure I'm not, like, shuffle cheating them, which is, you know, somewhat understandable, but, like, I've been playing Magic for 20 years. <laughs> Nobody's ever had a whiff of me doing anything like that, but maybe they don't know. Uh, so I can't, I can't fault. Just what a cheater would say, Ross. Yeah. I'm sorry, go ahead. So I, I just, want, I like that. You gotta, you know, be willing to take those shortcuts. You gotta go through those motions quickly. Um, you know, they're, yeah, the, the, it's the, it's always the little things. Like I, I don't mind the tank mm-hmm. on it on a hard turn um, when you've done all the little things. And I think based on like judge policy, that might be a, against that because I, I think the philosophy is like. It, the complexity doesn't matter. You you should play basically every turn at a similar pace. But honestly, like I'm not the biggest fan. Yeah, of that, neither am I. Honestly, you know, yeah. we're obviously going to play ter- the first two turns of the game incredibly quickly. You know, uh, we have we have fewer options to consider. That that's the thing is like you can't ask somebody to play turn one and turn ten the same when turn one they literally have like three options and it's which land to play uh, and or like maybe they're playing a one drop. Uh, you know, w- with some exceptions in like Legacy or like Mox Opal, like, it, but e- even with those, like your your turn ones are, and twos are pretty scripted. Uh, so obviously, like they go by pretty quickly. Once you get into it and you have things to consider, you know, uh, honest that sort of should be a somewhat of a consideration. Um, but it, 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 that does leave open for abuse. This is just a tough. It's a tough situation. Yeah, it's, um, and that's why honestly, this is why I think there's like. I don't know if there's a reasonable fix that covers everything. I just I just don't know if it's possible. I think it's just going to be subjective per person, and I'm fine with that. You know, as long as you, as long as you, as long as you're firm in your conviction and you think you think you're right and you have a reasonable like you think I'm reasonable. You know what I mean? Like, but you you need to be willing to be wrong too. And I'm saying this by judges and players. Like I in my last few years, you, you kind of mentioned this, have definitely worked on my reactions to judges when they tell me something that like you need to make a play whatever instead of like scoffing at them or doing the James Harden like how could that <laughs> how could I have possibly done anything wrong here you know the like you know the look with the hands out oh, yeah. like the, the the eyes are real wide the the mouth is agape you're like what <laughs> what you know like but just I think a lot of people would have better interactions in games and stuff like this in general if you just understood the the possibility that you were wrong that you could be wrong. Just have that possibility in your mind and think that, that, you know, I could be wrong about something. I could be doing something not correct here. You know, I could not be playing fast. I mean, that, and I think that would move all, all stuff along. I mean, we could talk an entire show about this, obviously. I, I will say that uh, as much as uh, I think you're right, that like, you know, this is such a subjective issue that, uh, and, a, and a multivariate issue, you know, like we said, the the tough turns are going to take longer than you know the first couple turns. So you can't ever apply this universal standard where you get thirty seconds a turn or whatever, and like that. That's what yeah. you have to go, use. Like that wouldn't. So something like that wouldn't make sense. You know, we can't say like on turn. You know, you can't on turn X. You get you know two X seconds to think or or whatever five yeah. five X seconds. Um, like something like that wouldn't work. So. Uh, because of it, it's, you know, the, the impossible nature of nailing down this like exact policy, uh, you know, we're never going to reach a super satisfying conclusion, but I will say like 
the needle should be pushed a little towards that end, right? Oh, I agree. Yeah. So let's push the needle towards that end, even though, you know, we can't end at a perfect solution, but we should be, we should still strive towards a perfect solution, even if we know we'll never get there. Uh, I definitely agree there. And one last thing I want to say on this is like, you know, this from experience sitting next to me and playing against me that um, the, the way that I go about it is I know that we can't have chess clocks in real life. It's just not feasible, but I go by like the theoretical chess clock almost where like, if you and I are playing a match and we're playing at a brisk enough speed and you have a turn where you need to take time, I will give you a reasonable amount of time. If you start bordering like a minute and a half, I'm going to say something, but I know that the game is very complicated, especially on like the penultimate turn of the game. You know, like the last time you and I played, we're playing like Delver versus Storm and like your complicated turn is going to take the majority of your time of the entire game. It probably takes more time for your one turn than all the other turns of the game combined. And I am fine with you taking time on that turn as long as you play the other turns at a reasonable pace because I would also like that to be afforded to me. Because overall, I play pretty quick, pretty brisk for most things. And then there's turns where I'm not the smartest human being alive. I definitely make some really dumb mistakes when I'm playing Magic. So I need to tank sometimes and figure things out. Also, most of the time, I'm never doing it multiple turns in a row. Like if I'm tanking, I know what I'm doing for the next three turns, depending on what you do. Yeah, exactly. And and that's another thing. It's like, well, you know, how can you say that I'm taking too long in this turn? Because that's not that's sort of a reductionist view of it. Because what I'm doing is planning out the next three turns. So this is really all the time I'm going to need for three turns. Uh, yeah, is that, but there's no way to, to yeah. yeah. But there's no way like that. That leads to a slippery exactly. slope. The judge cetera, doesn't know that. It's just another yeah. issue with, with it. And I'll, you know, uh, I, I do like to think of the virtual chess clock as well. That actually plays into whether or not I'll like, concede if we go into turns. If I think my opponent has just taken a completely unreasonable amount of time, like I'll just take the draw. And if I think that like they've played you know reasonably well and they're pretty far ahead, I'll generally concede. Uh, unless you know the draw is beneficial for me, then I'll just never concede. But uh, yeah, I'm I'm the exact same way. Yeah, but like, just, just you know, be a little bit mindful of that, and it, it really is the little things. Just draw your card quickly. Shuffle that quicker. last turn when you want to showboat. Uh, <laughs> one, I th- one th- I think that is relevant to gameplay, so that doesn't that's a that's a side issue. One thing that I do um to help save a little bit of time in the matchups where I think it's going to go long, like you've probably seen me do this in Legacy where we have to shuffle a lot if my opponent's playing some form of control deck like Miracles, or whatever. The matchups usually go pretty long. I don't know if you've ever noticed, but like when they fetch or whatever, and um, they're they're doing something, I'm like, give me the deck. You know, I'm like, let me shuffle your deck and then I'll present it back to you. Like, you don't need to shuffle it for 10 seconds and then give it to me to shuffle it for 15 seconds. You know, because like we can shortcut this because like they're shuffling their deck, they get their land and they're trying to do something. And I'm like, no, 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 just give it to me. I'll, I'll save us 15 seconds here. And I'll do it four or five times over the span of the match and save that extra minute or two. And I'm not saying it's something you have to do, but it can come down to that, you know, in some important spots. So really great question. Um, I, like I said, I think this is one that we could go almost an entire episode on and it <laughs> would provide a lot of examples and stuff. So I'm going to try to, you know, cut it off there. But, you know, if this is something that you want to, you want to be involved in, in another episode of the Pioneer cast, this is something you can do by being a patron, you know, join our discord and stuff. But before I go into the closing, I wanted to talk to some, uh, some people that are listening about an idea that Ross and I have had that we're going to try to possibly do before the end of the year. Um, we're thinking about doing an extra bonus episode before the end of the year where um, it'll kind of be like a mailbag episode. Like we'll set up, like you can either, uh, you know, tweet at us or send us, you know, something on Twitter uh, to the, to the, the podcast Twitter, not, not to us personally, try not to do that. It's, you know, we'll do, we'll take it obviously, but that might give you too much, but we'll also set up an email account for this. We have one. So I'm gonna make sure that that email gets put out there um, where 
it's kind of like a mailbag question question episode, but we don't want to talk about magic if we can avoid it. You know, like obviously if you're like, what's your favorite deck of all time? We'll, we'll, we'll talk about that for a minute, but we don't want it to be about, you know, cause like there's not a lot that's going to go on in the next two weeks. Right. You know, there's, there's not a lot of big paper tournaments. There's a couple things online we could talk about cards aren't going to get banned and we could kind of add an extra episode in here because Ross has got to do a lot of traveling as well. And that might present a problem for recording one of her episodes. So at least we'll have some content out at that point. But like, you know, perfect example here. You hear Ross talk a lot about, about breweries. Like, what is Ross's favorite beer and why? You know, like, does it remind him of his childhood? You know, or something. I don't know. You know, like. Why would a beer remind me of my childhood, I, you know, What I are you trying to that, say? I thought about that as I said it. And I was like, this does not make sense. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, like, you know, uh, what, what were Ross's siblings like? I don't know. You know, you just, you could just ask all these random questions. Like, why did you grow a beard? You know, I, I liked clean shaven Ross. He was cute. You know, like what happened? Why? Why did you come even knows clean shaven Ross? Clean shaven Ross hasn't existed since two thousand, early twenty thirteen. I've seen pictures, Ross. I've seen videos. Yeah. You know, there are pictures, but nobody, people didn't know who I was. You know, like what's what's Ross's favorite vegetarian dish? Like, what's the one meat that if he if he could have one meat and still be vegetarian, like what would it be? You know, like like if he could cheat if he could cheat on vegetarianism with like one, would it be bacon? You know, like would it be ham? Like no, be, no, but I. I don't want to no, know. Don't no answer. To, don't no answer. to both. Don't answer. Let's say let, let the let the people at home ask because I think this would be a lot of fun. I'd have a lot of fun with it. I don't know if you would, but you know, you get to know us a little bit better and maybe maybe have some funny stories and just you know just a cool off the wall thing. So if that's something that you want to see or hear or be involved with, why don't you tweet at us? Let us know. Um, this is something that we definitely have been thinking about and doing some work behind the scenes, and we can do it soon. And you can tell us that at our Twitter. It's at Cast Pioneer. So make sure you follow that. Um, you know, we we post whenever on there whenever our, our shows go live um we do a lot of uh deckless retweeting on there there's lots of discussions on there there's been a there's been a few people that are like stalwarts on our twitter and they get long discussions i don't know if you've seen this i'm talking 30 40 reply threads on like you know what do you think about this deck what about this matchup like how are you sideboarding here so lots like pretty much an article worth worth of stuff is going on in these Twitter threads. So we thank everybody that's that's there, but make sure that you follow us there to get all that information. On our Twitter, you can find the link to the Discord that we've uh, referenced multiple times. It's it's in our Twitter. Uh, very active uh, Discord. We have a ton of different channels that you can be a part of. Lots of different discussions going on. Um, all the way from every magic thing you could think of down to sports, video games, TV, memes. Uh, there's there's voice channels in there. So you, can t- you can talk to people. I know that I jump in there sometimes. Uh, when like a big event's going on and I'm watching it, I've done some impromptu uh, AMAs in there as well. Those have been pretty fun. You know, you can ask me whatever question you want. I'll, I'll answer it. You know, something there. So that's a lot of fun. And in both of these, you'll find some uh, some links to our Patreon. And if you don't have any of that, but you want to be able to support the show, it's patreoncom pioneercast And uh, we really thank everybody that's already supporting us. With so many of you who have already you know pledged your loyalty to our show. Uh, however you want to put it, you know, we really, really appreciate that. All the patrons at home, you guys are guys and gals are great. Uh, we really appreciate all the help because it helps keep Brent from going crazy, you know, trying to make us sound good every week. Uh, thanks Brent. Again, you're great. And, uh, you know, it helps pay for all the stuff that, you know, Ross and I have to put up with the show. You know, we have to actually, you know, pay for some of the stuff that we're doing on the show as well. So yeah, Papa uh, needs really, swag. Yeah. Papa, uh, Papa, he needs to do Joe Ingalls, uh, Utah Jersey. That's, that's the real thing, right? That, that's what it really is. you didn't see it but ross did the very sheepish nod he's like yep you got me but anyway so if you want to if you want ross to get a new jersey or my dog to keep getting treats 
I'll, I'll do the pity one. <laughs> Make sure that you, you can support us there at, again, patreon.com slash pioneer cast. And we thank everybody that's already a patron of the show. Y'all are great. Y'all are the real MVPs. Ross, if people wanted to get a hold of you more, see more of you, hear more from you, where would they go? Best place to reach me is on Twitter. I am at Ross Hunneds. That's R-O-S-S-H-U-N-N-E-D-S. I try to respond as much as possible, so the best place to get at me is there. Uh, I also co-host Versus Live twice a week with Corey Baumeister. That is on twitch.tv slash starcitygames. Same channel you go to to watch open coverage. We're on there during the week, Tuesday and Thursday afternoons. It's 1 to 4 Eastern time. Uh, if you can't catch us live, and you really should try to, it's a great time. We have fun playing all sorts of formats. Playing a lot of Pioneer recently, though, because people like it. Uh, and we do interact with the chat. I take live questions and such. Uh, and, but if you can't catch it live, uh, the Tuesday shows go up on YouTube the following Friday, and the Thursday shows go up the following Monday. So you can watch them on the Star City Games YouTube channel. Uh, I also do a weekly article for StarCityGames.com that is... Uh, goes up on Tuesdays at 11 a.m. Eastern. Uh, so you can read that as well to support me. And I thank everyone who does. If you wanted to find more of me, you can find me at Twitter at the Tannigray. Sorry, I uh, hit the mute button there. I had to take care of my dog. <laughs> Sorry about that. But um, yeah, I'm, I'm on there. I'm pretty active on there. Um, you know, work's definitely cutting into my Twitter time. And I, I got to have a talk with my boss about that. I it should, I signed I I, did, I finished signing all the contracts today. By the way, I, I I thank God I worked on my signature. I had to sign so much stuff, <laughs> so many things. But if, if you have something that is keeping you away from Twitter, you should hang on to it like grim death. <laughs> so real quick, stay uh, away from Twitter. Good joke today. Uh, one of my one of my bosses, uh, the managing partner, got me really really good today. So you know when you when you work at a, a company like this, they, they they do a good background check, like a, like a really good background check. You know what I mean? They they really dive into you and your financials and everything. So, so they found that picture with the goatee, didn't they? Oh yeah, oh yeah. <laughs> but but the best part is, is, so they Googled me, and you know they found out about you know my my hobbies. And when I was signing it today, uh, I, I guess he had it like set up and ready to go. He was just, he's like he's like. He's like, yeah, that, that signature looks like you've been practicing for all. I'm like, yeah, you know, I've, I've had to do this once or twice. The guy goes, yeah, I can't believe I'm getting a signature from the Tannen Grace. I, I I got the Tannen Grace's signature. Like he like, and he like stole a piece of paper and I just looked at him and I was very like, how did you son of a, I don't know. And the, 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 there was, a, there was another part, there was another partner in the room and he was like in on it and they just had like a good giggle at it. And I, I, I was probably like four or five shades of red. At this point, so it was it was a pretty. They got me pretty good today with uh, the Tannen Grace thing because I didn't expect to ever be called the Tannen Grace at my place of work, you know. So <laughs> at the firm I work for. But anyway, thanks everybody for tuning in this week. Uh, let us know if you want to hear about that extra episode. If not, we'll be hearing you. Uh, you'll be hearing us at the uh, regular time next week. Thanks everybody. <laughs>